It's Father's Day. And so, we, we, we dust off the Bible, we abandon the series wherever we were, and we think, what are we going to say to the fathers? And actually, Ecclesiastes is kind of fun. Ecclesiastes has something fatherly about it this morning. Now, you remember we upset our, our order in Ecclesiastes a little bit. We had this chapter 9, which was a, boy, life is random. Boy, life doesn't make sense. You know, we are in the midst of a broken world where there is evil as well as good. Yes, welcome to Genesis 3. And I compared life's randomness to Mario Karts and how you can learn the skill and you can keep the, the accelerator down. That's the way I drive. I just hold it all the way down. If I crash, I start over and we just keep going full speed. Try to stay on the road. But even if you get that down and you're doing well, all of a sudden random things start to happen. It doesn't make any sense. Life's like that, isn't it? Life's like that. You can be doing your best. You can be playing by the rules, and yet the randomness of life all of a sudden throws things at you that didn't seem to fit, weren't what you expected. And so from that, what would a wise man like Solomon tell us? What would he tell his own son? What would he tell his children then? What would a father want to pass on in the midst of the randomness, the unpredictability, the lack of guarantees in our experience of life on the world under the sun? Well, then Ecclesiastes moves to chapter 10. and Ecclesiastes chapter 10, he gets proverbial. It sounds a lot like the book of Proverbs. All of a sudden, there's a series of Proverbs that seem to say, if you, if you live this way, things will be better. But without any guarantees. Because vanity, vanity, everything is, is, is vanity, futility. There are no guarantees. And yet, the fact that we live in such a messed up world is all the more reason to live in God's wisdom. It's all the more reason to apply wisdom in life because life is so messed up as you've experienced it. And to turn this a little further, one of the ways that one of the things that Solomon would say, one of the things that is true for us is walking in wisdom is not only better for me. Walking in wisdom makes my father's heart glad. How can I make my father's heart glad is by walking in his wisdom. There's a few Proverbs I want to start with. I printed them for you in your notes. Proverbs 23, 15. My son, if your heart is wise, then my heart will be glad. My inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. Proverbs 27, 11, Be wise, my son. The voice of a father. Be wise, my son. And bring joy, bring joy to my heart, right? Third John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. And yet, verse uh, uh, Matthew eleven nineteen, wisdom is known by her children. The context of that verse is actually a, a uh, you know, we do this, you didn't like that, we do this, you didn't like that, you don't know what you want, and yet wisdom will be vindicated. Wisdom will be known, wisdom will be shown in the midst of this life. In the midst of life where there are no guarantees, in the midst of life where nothing is certain, as Ecclesiastes says, except the certainty of God's promises. But in the midst of this, the uncertainties of life, how can I 
bring joy to my father? How can I make a father's heart glad? We're going to be talking about a series of Proverbs, but before we do, I want to again start with an animation, and that animation will remind us that in the midst of the uncertainties, there's things that we can do that apply wisdom in the middle of life. After being away for some time, was that if you're from here, you don't carry an umbrella. It seemed to me that if you were from here, you would know better. If you're from here, you, of course you would carry an umbrella. On the best of days in July, you would carry an umbrella because you know better. It seemed like that would be wisdom. Wisdom in the midst of knowing that the stuff may come wet coming down all around you. Well, there are a series of Proverbs that we're going to talk about from chapter 10. What I want to do in, 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 the, in, this, in this approach is I want to I go one at a time and, and I'll read a cluster of verses that seem to support one, one proverbial Solomon, King Solomon type of a statement. Because you see, in life, life can be good, can it? Life can be a day at the beach, but that statement that you've probably heard, there's a fly in the ointment. There's a fly in the ointment. You ever heard that before? It actually comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 10. There's a fly in the ointment, and one fly can ruin the whole bottle of perfume. One fly can ruin the whole bottle of ointment and make the whole thing stink instead of smell nice. And the things of life can do that in life. How do we apply wisdom? How do we keep the flies out? Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and into chapter 11 gives us a handful of proverbs that we can apply in life and doing so in life. These are words of a father. So take this today. Father's Day. Fathers, you relax. All those things you've been trying to say to your children, they will listen up now and you will say, glad somebody else said that. All right? So, fathers, this is for you. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. If you're following along, you'll find us in a pew Bible. You'll find us on page 477. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. The first proverbial statement I want to start with is, uh, is going to begin in chapter 4. I'll give it to you right off the top. It's respond calmly. In the contentions that arise, and it might be at work, it might be political. It might be with somebody in power. Respond calmly. Let's read from verse 4 of chapter 10. If a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great errors to rest. There's an evil I've seen under the sun, the sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions. And all the church said, <laughs> it's called Congress. <laughs> yes. Fools are put in many high positions while the rich occupy the low ones. I have seen slaves on horseback while princes go on foot like slaves. But if a ruler or the boss's anger rises against you, what do you do? You say, well, treat it like that. I'm out of here. Yes, and everything that they thought or assumed might be confirmed. When, when, when a ruler's anger rises against you, how do you respond? He says here, don't leave your post. Don't abandon. Don't leave. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. No, hold on. Stay. You have been given this post. You've been placed in a, in, a, in a certain place. When the ruler's anger rises against you, don't leave your post. Stick to it doing right. Your example will mean something to others. Calmness can lay great errors to rest. Respond calmly. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer 
turns away wrath. So in the midst of somebody else's rage, your response stays calm. You may be accused in the workplace or maybe at home. I still remember the cupcakes I was accused of dipping my fingers in back when I was about nine or ten years old. I still have not let that one go. But when you are accused falsely, when you are, when somebody is railing against you, don't respond in kind. We talk about something in transactional analysis and counseling that talks about uh, uh, responding as adult to adult. Or sometimes somebody will take a parent role and treat you like a child. Or sometimes somebody else will be childish. And when they're being childish, what do you want to, how do you want to respond back? You want to respond ch- childishly back, right? Did so, did not. Did so, did not. Yeah? Well, the best way to handle those situations when somebody else is acting like a parent and scolding, still act like an adult. When somebody else is acting childish, still act like, a, like an adult with maturity. And what you will do is you will bring the conversation back up to an adult and mature level. Though the king rails against you, his anger rises against you, don't leave your post. Calmless, calmness can lay great errors to rest. Respond to others in the midst of the unpredictable stuff of life. Respond to others calmly. Verse 8 is a, 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 the second proverbial statement is work carefully. This applies to, to work and it's time to, we, we've graduated high school, some of us, ready to go out and get a job or graduated college, ready to go out into the working world to f- pursue that career. But maybe, maybe not. There's a, are, are there jobs out there? If I, if I do this, you know, there's danger involved with that. Look at verse 8. It seems to argue about, argue not to get into work. Work can be a dangerous thing. Verse 8 says, whoever digs a pit, well, they might fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall might be bitten by a snake. Think about that the next time you're breaking through a wall. Now, you say, well, I haven't broke through a wall in a while, and if I was breaking through a wall, I probably shouldn't have been doing that, and I probably should be bitten by a snake. Well, think of this in terms of just hands-on work. These are proverbial statements, and if you dig a pit, you might fall into it. If, you, if, you're, if you're breaking through a wall because the wall needs to come down, you're, you're in the construction industry, and, and uh, a wall needs to be moved, but you didn't know there was a snake inside that wall. And when you, when you swung into the wall and you started disassembly, I was taking a wall down in a, in a, in a minor renovation in our house and smacked my thumb good with a hammer. You know one of those framing hammer with teeth on it? You know, I was swinging hard because I was knocking off. I was, I was trying to knock a two-by-four to the side, you know, trying to take apart the framing, so I used a framing hammer. Well, my thumb was there holding the board I was trying to loosen, right? Well, I loosened my thumb, and that put off the whole project. If I hadn't been doing that, if I hadn't been moving this wall, I never would have hurt my thumb. But if I hadn't been moving the wall, I never would have moved the wall. I never would have extended the dining room. I never would have had a little more room to get inside out of the rain. So it's talking about here. You dig a pit, you might fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones might be injured by them. Whoever splits logs might be endangered by them. If the axe is dull, its edge is unsharpened, more strength is needed. You have to work harder. 
So the takeaway there would be to work smarter, not harder. Sharpen the axe. Skill will bring success. Because verse 11, this is an odd one. Think about this. If If a snake bites before it is charmed, there's no profit for the charmer. Now, you're probably thinking about um, India, and they have the cobras, and somebody's sitting there with a flute, and they're charming the snake, and the snake is dancing, and why anybody does that, I just don't get it. Cobras are something to stay away from, not to sing to and play music to. But the snake charmer in this, in this usage is somebody who, who goes and gets rid of a snake, a dangerous snake. Um, in, in, in Swaziland, I, I, I call them Swazis. My Swazi men, my brothers were really good at snakes where I wasn't so good at snakes. We saw a snake, we knew to call one of the guys who lived there, who grew up there. And they, they knew how to catch them. They knew which ones were dangerous and which ones were not dangerous and so on. And, but it's no good saying, oh yeah, you know, I'll come around, you know, sometime in the next couple of days, I'll come around and take a look at that snake for you. No, by then the snake bites somebody. If you don't get into snake charming, if you don't go after the snake, if a snake is there, what's going to happen? Somebody's going to get bit. Well, it's not about snakes. It's actually about stones and walls and logging and construction. The proverb is about work. It's about work. That working carefully doesn't mean, hey, if I go to work, I could get hurt. I think I'll stay home and I'll stay in bed. Bed is a safe place. Well, normally it is. Normally bed is a safe place. But if you stay in bed, guess what happens? You won't get work done. And what he's saying, again, proverbial statement about wisdom in life is even though bad things happen in the midst of your work, you need to get to work. So what are you going to do? You're going to work carefully. You're going to work carefully because we don't want to get hurt in the midst of our work. But work has to be done. Dad would say, man, it's time to get out and find a job. Glad, dads, aren't you glad I'm saying that now? You graduated, it's time to get out and find a job. I don't know if it's high school graduation, I don't know if it's college graduation, but it's time to get out and work. But if I go to work, I could get hurt. Yes, you could. You're going to have a bad boss. You're going to have one who, like a king, who, who rails against you, and you're going to have to stand there calmly and take it in humility. That's a good thing to do, too, to show grace in the midst of somebody else's injustice. At the time, they won't even recognize it, but later on, when they come back to it and say, wow, I was really hard on Tom or Sue or Becky or whoever it was. I was really hard, but they just stood there and responded calmly and graciously. Wow, there's more to them than I realized. There's something different about them and that injustice becomes your opportunity so because it's that kind of world because it's an unpredictable world because i could get hurt in the work i'm going to work carefully the next one is speak graciously it's not unlike the first it's related to the first one it begins in verse 12 words from a wise man's mouth are gracious but a fool is consumed by his own lips at the beginning his words are folly At the end, they are wicked madness, and the fool multiplies words. No one knows what is coming. Who can tell him what will happen after him? A fool's work wearies him. He does not know the way to town. That last one, see, is hard to fit in with the rest. What does it mean he doesn't know the way to town? Well, the fool can't be followed. The fool is not somebody you're going to listen to for 
the simplest of directions. If you're, if you're out in the country, if you work out in the fields, if you worked in the fields around battleground, it'd be fairly easy to ask somebody around the question, hey, what's, what's the, how do I get to town? If you were here, how do I get to town? Well, which town do you want to go to? You go up 503 that way, you go down 503 that way, you will get to town. Getting to town from out in the fields is normally pretty easy. Now, if you're in town and you want to find somebody's home out there in the countryside somewhere, that's a job for Google Maps. But if you're working in the fields in this, in this Old Testament agricultural lifestyle, everybody knows where town is. Town is central. And yet the fool is not somebody you would ask directions from. He's not somebody you would listen to to get insight. That's the purpose. The fool's words might go on and on and on. Foolish words might, might uh, it said a fool is consumed by his own lips. In the beginning, his words are just silliness. They're just inane. It's just, you know, not worth, not worth much, but relatively harmless. But at the end, they are wicked madness. He just goes on and on, and who knows what harsh or cruel thing may end up coming out of their lips. But wisdom speaks differently. And the takeaway phrase is, is there in verse 12, words from a wise man's mouth are gracious. Words from a wise man's mouth are gracious. How do we conduct ourselves out there in the midst of life when there's plenty to complain about? In the midst of an Ecclesiastes world, there's plenty to complain about. We're, we're launching into a political season. And one thing will occur after another. There'll be all kinds of discussion. What is the flavor of it from us as Christians? Oh, we could rail. We could go on. We could, we could uh, fill the space with the bitterness of our opinion. Or we could speak words of grace seasoned, as it were, with salt. That's what the world needs to hear from us. What is our, con- I thought about this, what is our conversation around the water cooler? Well, who gathers around the water cooler anymore? What is our conversation at the coffee bar? You know, that place at the corner of the office where the coffee, co- where the coffee pot sits and people seem to gather and have a few moments of conversation about something other than work. In the break room or at lunch or in, in Starbucks before work even starts. What's our conversation like? Is it bitter opinion? Is it, is it um, foolish words that are spoken out of impulse? Is it envy or complaint about what somebody else is doing? Or are they gracious words? Verse 12 says that a, the words from a wise man's mouth are characterized a certain way. Let your words be filled with grace. How do I bring a father joy. How would Solomon's son bring him joy? This one was something that Solomon's own son didn't listen to. Solomon's own son had an opportunity when questioned, when, when they came before the king and said, King, what are you going to do? He could have answered graciously. Instead, because he was the new king, he was in charge, he was on control, in control, he could do what he wanted to do. He answered harshly. And the nation of Israel was from that point forward torn in two. And many left 
and were led away by new leaders into idolatry, never to have a good king and a strong spiritual revival movement within that northern kingdom of Israel after that. But the rending of the garment, the tearing apart of a people, came from harsh words, which could have been gracious instead. They could have been gracious instead. And you think, well, I'm not a king, and I won't have such momentous words. But your words could be far heavier than you ever realized to a handful of people that God has put you near to, that you're the one. You are the one. And a wise man's words will be gracious. The words from a wise man's mouth are gracious. Speak graciously. Next one from verse 16 is to take responsibility. Now this one's funny because it really gets into the midst of the, of the political season around us. We could talk about the rules, we could talk about what's going on and how that has an effect on us. And that's how this passage starts. It's how it starts and how it, how it ends. Talking about the king. But in the middle, there's something for me, individually, personally. Another proverb of wisdom take responsibility listen for it in verse 18 as we go through woe to you O land whose king was a servant or whose king is immature whose king is childish woe to you O land or nation if your ruler is childish and whose princes feast in the morning they feast to fill themselves blessed are you O land if a king is 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 noble and honorable, and whose princes eat at the proper time for strength rather than for drunkenness. If a man is lazy, the rafters sag, and if his hands are idle, the, the house leaks. It's a own proverb, right? Stuck in the middle. And then we go back. A feast is made for laughter, and wine makes life merry, but money is the answer for everything. Do not revile the king. Don't talk bad about him. Even in your thoughts, don't curse the rich in your, in your bedroom, in your inner chambers, because the bird of the air may carry your words, and a bird on the wing may report what you say. You may not have a good king. You may not have a good ruler. In the workplace, you may not have a good boss. And that may tend you to say, well, there's nothing I can do because... Here. We might talk about for whether one party or another, who, they, they caused it or they did, but we would say because of what others have done, the economy's in the sewer, there are no jobs, why should I even bother? And yet, for me, in my situation, I still am going to have to take the initiative. It may be that some circumstances or situations have been made more difficult by leadership far beyond me, and yet I'm still responsible for me. And in the midst of this, oh, woe to the land that has a bad king. Oh, but by the way, don't spend much time talking about the king. You know, that might get back to him and make your trouble even worse. But verse 18, if a man is lazy, the rafters sag. If his hands are idle, the, the house leaks. That narrows it down from the land and from a kingdom to a particular neighborhood, to a particular home, to a particular household, your household and mine. And no matter what's going on in the bigger scene, I'm responsible for mine. I'm responsible for me. And if, and if, if my rafters are sagging, if my house is leaking, it's, it's because of what I'm doing or not doing. 
The, bigger, the whole bigger realm might be somebody else's responsibility, but still don't let that absolve yourself from taking responsibility for your own situation. That seems to be the thrust of how all of those Proverbs wrap, wrap together. In the midst of others doing whatever, don't then use that as your excuse not to take responsibility for yourself. So how do you make a father's heart glad? And imagine, just at the human level, just under the sun level in an unpredictable world, a father's heart rejoices. A father's heart is going to make, be made glad when his children respond calmly. They work carefully. They speak graciously. They take responsibility. And lastly, chapter 11, the first six verses, they seize opportunities. These are just good, in the world, life in the midst of this chaos kind of wisdom, all right? The last one is seize opportunities. Cast your bread upon the waters. After many days, you will find it again. I, I, I imagine this in my mind. Growing up, I heard the song, keep on casting your bread upon the waters, it'll come back home from every shore. And I'm thinking, what in the world does this mean? Imagine throwing out a loaf of bread on the, on the water, and it floats off. But at a time when I need it, it's going to float back to me again. Well, it seems that by then, that bread's going to be pretty soggy. Or, or casting your bread upon the water, is that about feeding I, I, What is this about? But it's, a, it's an idiom. It's a, it's, a, it's a colorful expression that means well, something. And it's understood in the audience what it means. Casting your bread upon the waters was sending out your ships full of grain. You know, in the ancient world and in the modern world, there's a lot to be made by the import and export of goods. The, the money made until very recently, the, the, one of the greatest money-making enterprises in the world was shipping. And in ancient days, when Solomon is writing, if you could take a ship and you could fill it full of grain and send it off where they didn't have grain, and then you could, that same ship could come back and you'd sell all that, and you'd make a pile of money because they didn't have grain. And then with that pile of money, guess what you'd do? You'd buy all these rare spices and teas and things, and you'd load that back in your, in your ship, and you'd bring that back, to, back home, and everybody would pay even more for all the spices and things that you'd bought because they can't get that there. And so you made money going out, and you make money coming back, and you are just rolling in the dough. Shipping's a good deal, right? You see, you see what it says? Cast your bread out on the water, but what could happen? You send that ship out, into, out across the ocean, what could happen? It might sink. There might be a storm. There might be pirates. And they would do something. These are not the pirates that don't do anything. These are the pirates that would take your stuff. That can happen. That can happen, right? So, oh my goodness, but if I, if I, if I take a chance, if I, if I send our grain out, it might get taken. Yeah, it might but am I not? And it's those shipments that don't get taken. It's those shipments that make it. That's where the money is made, and that's where, that's where the capitalist system just prospers. Oh, boy. oh I, I'm getting carried away here. So cast your bread upon the waters. Go ahead, in, go ahead, invest. Take a risk in order to receive reward. But verse 2, give portions to seven, yes, to eight, for you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. I thought, give portions to seven, even to eight. Is that just about being generous? Well, it certainly could be. Generous, generosity is a good thing. But this one is in light of the calamities that could come. And you don't know what's going to happen. So what do you do? You diversify 
your investments. Doesn't a good investment counselor talk about that today? Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Diversify. Put something here. Put something there. Put a certain percentage over here. Spread it out because you don't know exactly what the markets are going to do. Anybody who does, oh boy, they're just very, 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 very wealthy. You know, they're like Warren Buffett or something. Most of us don't know exactly what's going to happen. And so you spread, you spread it around. How does that go back to the shipping? Well, instead of one big ship, maybe seven smaller ships. And they all won't go down. They all go different places. You don't know what the market was going to be for grain over there, but the market over there was really strong. You diversify your investment, and that's how you get ahead in the midst of a random world where bad things happen. You see how it fits? There is wisdom of how we will live in the midst of a world where bad things happen. The answer is not then to sit on my hands and do nothing. The answer is to get out and to take opportunity. He says, in fact, at the, at the end of this section, verse 6, Sow your seed in the morning and in evening don't let your hands be idle. Do something there as well. I want to be sitting down just resting. I worked hard early in the day. I want to sit down. I want to just soak in some TV. And yet he says, don't let your hands be idle. Work in the morning. Work in the evening. There's more to be done. Do something here and do something there. You don't know which is going to prosper or whether both of them will do equally well. Diversify, but seize the opportunities in the midst of, of ministry, in the midst of witness. We're next to a high school. We established a student center. We don't know what's going to come of that. We don't know what's going to happen, what students are going to come through, and how God's going to use that. And we're not going to put all of our eggs in the Prairie High School Student Center basket. We have an Awana ministry. And there are kids that come to that. In fact, there's a high school portion of that Awana ministry that has, by and large, different high school kids than are at the church on Wednesday night in the, in the Wednesday night youth group. So there's a bit of overlap there, but there's a lot of different kids. You see, we do some of this, we do some of that. We have, we have children's ministry in Awana on Thursday. We have children's ministry in Sunday school on Sunday morning. We have various, we, we, we have the high school, we have, we have seniors and golden heirs, and the seniors and golden heirs have an opportunity to invite other seniors from the community in ways that nobody else could because they've got something that is uniquely attracted to a particular generation, especially that, wow. So the differences of ministry opportunities as well that we could participate in, and we don't know what's going to happen necessarily with any of them. But the point is, responding calmly, work carefully, speak graciously, take responsibility, seize opportunity, all of that is, at the human level, good advice. If you lived in those, you'd make your father glad. If you followed life that way, in the midst of the chaos of it, you'd make your father glad, but there's something more than that. You know, as I, as I was uh, thinking about Ecclesiastes over the last several weeks, and I made the comment last week that the book of Ephesians seems to be a complement to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is about life under the sun and the chaos of it. Ephesians is about life in Christ, in the heavenlies already. Life in Christ from heaven's perspective. And it's not chaos. It's preordained from before the foundations of the world. It is not uncertain. It is assured in Christ. 
And in, but there's some parallels as well. Now, I, I, I want us to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. You can turn to it in your Bible. You can also see it on the screen right here in front of us. Ephesians chapter 5 calls us to wisdom. It calls us to wisdom that I want to suggest to you will make your father glad. This is wisdom in life on the earth that will bring your father joy. Look for the comparisons. Look for the, look for the overlap between this and some of those same proverbs that we read about at an earthly level in Ecclesiastes. Be careful then. Be careful how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to excess or debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another in a certain way. Speak to one another graciously with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, a a, a humility in submission to others. You see some overlaps in there? The point I want to make is it raises even Ecclesiastes. It raises even the Proverbs of Ecclesiastes as I live in them in life to a new level. This is not merely what an angry, bitter Solomon has to say about life. This is what God has to say to us about life, both in the world and beyond the world. And God would call us to, if you want to make your, bring your Heavenly Father joy, if you want to make your Heavenly Father glad, respond calmly. Work in the work of the gospel, in the work of ministry, in the work of providing, in the work of caring for others. Work carefully, not carelessly. Speak to one another graciously. Take responsibility and seize the opportunities that are before us. Redeem the time because, as Ecclesiastes tells us as well, redeem the time because the days are evil. You may have heard of a poem called If, written by Rudyard Kipling. It's a, it's a fairly well-known poem, and I took it upon myself to try to rewrite Kipling just this morning. So you will forgive this weak attempt of merely me to rewrite Kipling in a single morning. The, his poem ends, ends in this verse. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings, nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, and if all men count with you, but none too much, If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and which is more, you'll be a man, my son. As I was thinking about Ecclesiastes and bringing joy to a father, which is what Kipling is expressing, I rewrote that last stanza a little differently. My feeble attempt. If when others rage or get red in the face, you can stand your ground without losing your grace. If in the midst of snakes and stones and the guy who acts like a jerk, you apply yourself with strength and skill in all your work. If you listen well when others rant and roam and patiently wait for an opening to graciously show the way home, If you give yourself 
while others take their rest and yet seek only God's praise when you've done your best. If you seize the moment to sow good when times are bad, trusting God to bring his fruit from what you've done, then you will have made your father's heart glad. And what's more, you'll be a blessing on earth as his son. I'm not talking about a list of rules that will cause us to have success. And I'm certainly not talking about a road map that will earn us increased favor with God. But as we delight ourselves in our Lord, and as we then follow His way, and our children of God's wisdom showing something of Him to a world who needs Him, that will bring our Father joy. Would you pray with me? Father, we want to bring you joy. More than anything else, it's what we want. We, we have a day like Father's Day where we think about bringing our, 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 our Father's joy. We love them, especially when we've been blessed in a home where, where Father has loved us. Lord, but all of us know we haven't seen that perfectly. We haven't seen a Father's love perfectly except where we've seen it in you. And Father, we love you because you have first loved us. We want to then walk in wisdom in life the way you've showed us. Lord, we pray that as we would walk and conduct ourselves toward others in life, that we we would do that, Lord, in ways, specific ways, the ways that we speak, the ways that we work. We would do this in ways that would honor you and bring you joy. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.